If there was one person we thought would never have denied Jesus, it was the Apostle Peter. There's no question that his commitment to Jesus was unquestioned. Now, it is true that Peter was often putting his foot in his mouth. He seemed to have a perpetual case of foot-in-mouth disease. He was often saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. But we also know that he stood in very courageous ways. Peter was the one who said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was the high point of Jesus' ministry. When many of Jesus' disciples were leaving him, and he turned to the twelve and he said, are are, are you going to leave me too? Peter was the one who said, Lord, who shall we go to? You have the words of eternal life. And let's not forget, in the garden, it was Jesus who took a sword, or it was Peter who took a sword, and sought to defend Jesus from the mob. Misguided? Of course it was misguided. An act of bravery, courage, and loyalty? Absolutely. We did not expect Peter to fail, but he did. If you have been a Christian for very long, you have seen people fail you never expected would. You've seen pastors, elders, Sunday school teachers, strong leaders fail. And you were shocked and you were perplexed. You didn't think it could happen to them. But it did happen. Maybe you're here today and you're the one who failed and you have shocked yourself. Maybe you failed in a way you never dreamed possible. But you failed. Just like Peter. Now here is our question this morning. It is a very, very important question. Why do Christians fail? And there is a second equally important question. How does Jesus restore? Maybe you already know the answer to the first question. Maybe today your need is to know the answer to the second question. Christians can fail. You. Me. Praise his name, Jesus can restore, right? Amen. Now next Sunday, as we continue in this series, we are going to look at the second question. Today we are coming to our message in our series on the Last Supper, and this message is entitled, Peter's Fall and Rise. Because there is so much material here, next week we will look at Jesus' restoration. Today we will look at Peter's fall. I hope that you will come next week and you will see 
the wonderful restoration of Peter by Jesus. Martin Luther was discussing with some people one day why there's so much material in the Gospels on Peter. His answer was, because Jesus loves to forgive sinners. And next week we will see that. But today we will look at Peter's tragic, tragic fall. And we're going to learn some lessons that I trust today will help us so that we don't make the same mistake. Let's bow in prayer for just a moment. Lord, today all of us are vulnerable people. We live in a world of sin, temptation, and the activity of Satan. And we come to you, Lord, today because we know how much we need you. We affirm with the children, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak. He is the one who is strong. And today, Lord, we come to learn about our weakness, that we might receive your strength. Give us great wisdom today for Jesus' wonderful sake. Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to John 13. And I want to begin today by reading starting at verse 31. Would you follow along with me as I read from God's Word, John 13, starting in verse 31. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Here's the first reason why Christians fall. It is spiritual overconfidence. It is spiritual overconfidence. Please mark this down. Whenever this is the characteristic of our life, we can very easily be in trouble. I wonder if you would read with me this morning Proverbs 16, 18. Would you please read this with me? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Every spiritual failure in some way ties in to this truth. 
You see, spiritual pride makes us overconfident, and when we are overconfident, that sets us up for a downfall. Peter was the poster boy for this truth. Now, let me just give us a balance here this morning. We are to be confident in our salvation. We're to be confident in our relationship with God. We are to be confident in the truth of the Bible. All God's people said, amen. But we are not to be confident in our own strength, our own wisdom, and our own ability. Let me read for you what God thinks of us as his children. Let me read this for you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now that is exactly where Peter went wrong. And I want you to notice this morning how this played out. Verses 31 to 38, which I read for you, are a foreshadowing of Jesus' teaching coming in the Last Supper discourse in chapters 14 through 17 of John. When he speaks of his glorification in his death and resurrection, that will be detailed in chapter 17. When he talks about the new commandment of love, that will be explained in chapter 15. When he says, where I'm going, you cannot come right now, he will explain the blessed hope, the return of Jesus in chapter 14. So when Jesus says in verse 36 to his disciples, you cannot follow me now, he's talking about his death and his resurrection. None of the disciples could participate in that. It was for Jesus alone. When Peter said, Lord... Why can I not follow you now? That was an excellent, excellent question. He was looking for more information. He should have stopped right there. Lord, I want to know more about why I cannot follow you now. Teach me more. But then what he said was, I will lay down my life for you. Do you know previously Peter had said to Jesus, this will never happen to you? Now he says, I will die for you? Does anyone see the irony here? Jesus, you are not going to die for us. I'm going to die for you. Can you imagine correcting Jesus 
and telling him how it's going to be. Brothers and sisters, this is a big, big no-no. When Jesus says in verse 38, will you lay down your life for me? Can you not hear him thinking, who's going to die for whom? This is the height of overconfidence. Peter does not listen. He does not ask for more information. He pretends to know better. He is impatient. And he boasts of his own ability. Sounds just like me. And just like you. There's a Christian organization called the Macintosh Network. They reported on a very interesting study. They said a group of people were asked which is longer, the Panama Canal or the Suez Canal, and then they asked them how certain they were that their answer was correct. Among those who were 60% certain, 50% of them got the right answer, meaning this group was 10% too sure. But among those who were 90% certain, only 65% got the right answer, meaning that group was 25% too sure. Here's what the Macintosh Network said. Apparently, according to this study, The more convinced we are of our knowledge, the bigger gap there is between what we actually know and what we think we know. Such overconfidence leads to an illusion of control. As we overestimate the value of our own skills and knowledge, it leads us to make mistakes One of the hardest challenges for people is to accept just how little they really know. Look at the danger of spiritual pride. Peter got it completely backwards. He could not have been more wrong. He denied that Jesus would die for him, and he said he would die for Jesus. You cannot get more confused than that. Please notice here a very important sign of spiritual pride. We miss important truths or we live wrongly because we think we know more than we do. Please do not miss this this morning. One very clear sign of spiritual pride is we miss important truths or we live wrongly because we think we know more than we do. Did you also notice at this point, Peter was very unteachable, another sign of spiritual pride. 
This is where a fall always begins. Let's look at the second step. Step number two. Serious disregard of warnings. Serious disregard of warnings. Jesus said to Peter in verse 38, Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now this is not only a prophecy, but it is a warning. Jesus is not only foretelling the future, but he is trying to warn Peter. By the way, this is the whole pattern of the Bible. The Bible contains positive instruction and it contains warning. It is a pattern all throughout Scripture. We find it in the very beginning where uh, the Lord gives positive instruction to Adam and Eve. You can eat of any tree of the garden, but then there is warning. Do not eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. This pattern continues all throughout Scripture. You get it Psalm 1. And here is set before us the way of the godly. But then before the psalm ends, we are warned about the way of the wicked. How many times do you think that Peter was warned by Jesus? It is an amazing, amazing number. He was warned by Jesus at least four times. Uh, do you know there's a Jewish proverb that says this, A friend is one who warns you. A friend is one who warns you. And Jesus was a great friend. He warned Peter four times. You may not realize this. Right before this, uh, in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, Jesus said to Peter, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And Peter said, I'll go to prison for you. I'll never abandon you. Warning number two here in John 13, 38. You will deny me three times. Then in the garden, Luke twenty two forty, third warning. To all the disciples, pray that you will not enter into temptation. They fell asleep. Jesus comes back to them. And we have the fourth warning. In fact, I want you to notice something very, very interesting. Turn with me to Matthew 26. And I want you to notice that Peter was singled out of all the other disciples when they fell asleep on Jesus in the garden. Look at verses 40 and 41. How much did Jesus love Peter enough to warn him four times? Look at Matthew 26, 40 and 41. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to who? Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Do you know what Peter did with these four warnings? He failed to take them seriously. He forgot them. And he did not act on any one. May I just stop this morning and say, 
Does that describe you? Does that describe me? The warnings in Scripture are there because Jesus is our friend. But if we ignore them, if we forget them, if we do not act upon them, we are headed for a downfall. I think the best statement I have ever heard about why God warns us came last week from Pastor Randy Scroggins. Pastor Scroggins is a pastor in Roseburg, Oregon. His daughter was in the very room where Christopher Harper Mercer killed nine students in that community college. She could have been one of them. Last week, from his pulpit, Pastor Scroggins said this to his congregation. I don't focus on the man, Christopher Harper Mercer. I focus on the evil in the man. He is dead and evil is still alive. So I don't focus on him. There is something far worse. The evil that controlled him. This is what ought to be on the nightly news. This is what ought to be on the nightly news. This is nothing less than what the Bible says to us in 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 12, where it says, the things that were written beforehand in the scriptures were written for our example so that we would not crave evil things like them. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And that is why Jesus warned Peter It is why Jesus warns you and me. Now there is a clear progression here. If we are spiritually overconfident, we disregard the warnings of the Bible, we will inevitably take step three. Here it is. Softening power of temptation. The next step we will do is to think temptation cannot affect us. To think that we're capable of overcoming it. To play with it, to ignore it, to not take it seriously. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. I want you to turn with me to uh, John 18 for a moment, and let's see what happened. By the way, as we do, here's what we are learning today. We are learning how temptation works. Please recognize that what we have here in Peter's fall is a primer of how temptation works in the life of every person. 
And because Jesus loves us so much, he allows this to be recorded that we may understand how temptation works. Let's read it and then we'll look at it for a moment. Verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. We know this other disciple was John who never names himself. Since that disciple John was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Now drop down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once, a rooster Brothers and sisters, this is how temptation works. Let's please mark it down this morning. Number one, temptation is strongest when we are in a place we shouldn't be. I used to think that Peter was courageous in following Jesus into the courtyard. I've now revised my conclusion. I now am convinced this was foolhardy and unwise. Peter had warned, been warned by Jesus to not enter into temptation. Now there was no danger for John in this context because his family were friends of the high priest. He was known. In fact, we will discover in a moment that he was allowed into the very palace hall where Jesus was being questioned. But Peter had been the one to swing the sword in defense of Jesus. Now in this context, with the very people who had arrested Jesus, Peter would be nervous, he would be fearful of arrest. As an outsider, if asked, are you one of his disciples, he would have to answer, and he would be extremely frightened with his safety on the line. He would be extremely vulnerable to lying. Jesus had told the disciples this was how it had to happen. He had told them, I'm fully in control. There was no need for Peter to be here. His weakness would take over and he would fail. 
The great Lutheran Bible teacher Richard Lenski said this, Peter's disobedient curiosity leads him into a situation so full of danger he cannot hope to escape unscathed. And that's exactly right. There's one thing I've learned about internet pornography. It's the second click that takes you into a place you should not be. And once you are in that place you should not be, it is very, very hard to escape unscathed. And anyone who is addicted to internet pornography has to get to the place where they no longer make the second click. And if that is you, you join this group. Because you will not get out of that place unscathed. Second, temptation is sudden and unexpected. Peter never dreamed it would be the servant girl at the keeper's house who would recognize him. He thought he could slip in and be unnoticed amongst the shadows and he could be invisible. She recognized him right off and with the suddenness of a very cynical question from a little girl, he was unprepared and the lead apostle lied to protect himself. That is how sudden and unexpected temptation comes. I was told uh, of a pastor one day who was driving with his secretary in the front seat and his wife in the back seat. Now that's a huge mistake to begin with. I imagine what happened is they got in the car together to go pick up his wife at the church. When they arrived, she may have said, well, I'll sit in the back. Major mistake. While he was driving, he relaxed his right hand and put it on the seat. The secretary's hand was there. His hand came down on hers. Normally when that happens, you pull your hand away immediately. She left it there. That was a signal. A signal that she was infatuated with him and she wanted more of a relationship. That began a series of wrong thoughts that led to a relationship that ended in adultery. It began with a secretary in a wrong place, an unexpected touch, and it triggered powerful feelings. That's how temptation can come. Thirdly, 
Temptation is powerful. Far more powerful than we know. After the first denial, Peter went to a charcoal fire. Here were servants and officers, according to verse 15. They were the very ones who had arrested Jesus. Now, a servant girl could not harm Peter, but these men might. And you can see how Peter's fear grew. She conjectured, they now had evidence. One of them said, I think I saw you in the garden. Can you not see the pressure mounting? Can't you see the panic intensifying? Do you not see now the need in Peter's worried mind to cover up? And the desire for self-preservation was so powerful that Peter's bravery melted like a wax candle. Temptation is powerful. One day out of the blue, a co-worker asked me to lie for him. I gave him no answer. I was a youth pastor at the time. His request to lie for him was so sudden and unexpected. And my desire to be accepted by him was so strong, I said nothing. I did not lie. But I failed to give him my testimony due to fear. That's how powerful temptation is. Fourthly, temptation gets easier and easier. Please note this, temptation gets easier and easier. Peter never thought after the first lie that evidence would be brought to bear requiring another lie. Once you lie, it is easier and easier to lie again. The first lie requires a cover-up which leads to the next lie. This is how addictions get started. The first time isn't so bad. And that leads to the second time. The second time is not so bad, and that leads to the third time. It gets easier and easier and easier until you are addicted. Please listen to me this morning. I've said this many times from the pulpit. Oftentimes we have to hear this far more than one. Please listen. If you are caught in any any sin, the best thing to do is to come clean. Find a trusted person you can confess to and get it out and confess it. Because the easier a sin gets, the harder it is to break And it will gain control of you unless you expose it. 
Sin thrives when it's hidden. And when it's hidden, it gets easier and easier and easier and easier. And finally, you are so controlled by it, you're now ashamed. And you don't want to talk to anybody because you're so ashamed. And when that happens, Satan and sin and temptation has you exactly where it wants you. And so if you are caught in any sin and it has become easier and easier, find a trusted person come clean. And then you can start your journey to healing. Finally, temptation works best in isolation. Temptation works best in isolation. Where was John? John invited Peter into the courtyard. By the way, some Bible teachers believe that John tells us this because he feels a certain responsibility for leading Peter into the temptation. And John, being such a humble man, is saying, I shouldn't have done this. But where was John? John was inside the palace witnessing Jesus' trial. Please note this. Peter was alone. Alone in the wrong place. Cowed by his surroundings. Peter was vulnerable. Satan loves to isolate us from the fellowship of God's people. Please mark this down. He will do everything he can to keep you from this place. Satan will do everything possible to keep you out of this place. Because he knows not a single person is strong enough to stand alone. Temptation works best in isolation. When I was 16 years old, I was at band camp. Last time I ever went to band camp. A temptation was offered to me that I wanted very, very much. When that temptation was offered to me, there was a Christian girl who was present who overheard it. In fact, she lived on the street that I lived on. I knew she knew that I was a Christian, and therefore I was embarrassed to sin in front of her. And the only reason that I did not take that temptation at 16 years of age was because that Christian girl was present. Can you believe this? 41 years later, I have never been presented with the same temptation ever again. 41 years later, I have never been presented with the same temptation again. I turned away from a sin that I was very vulnerable to because I was with another Christian. At 16 years of age, I learned a very powerful lesson I've never forgotten. There is strength in numbers. And we need each other. And temptation 
works best when we are isolated. Over the years of my life, I've struggled with many, many issues. One of the things that I have found, without fail or without exception, that when I show up to be with God's people, no matter what I've been going through, God always ministers to me. I remember early in the days of my ministry as I was struggling with many problems and dealing with depression, there were some days I did not want to be in church. Let me tell you, when you're a pastor and you don't want to go to your own church, that's a bad situation. The one good thing about that is when you're a pastor, you have to go. You have no choice. And I would go. The people of God had no idea what I was going through, but they would love on me. They would encourage me. They would fellowship with me. When I left that place, I was always lifted up and I was always stronger. And I learned there is strength in numbers. This morning, God has spoken to us very powerfully through the fall of one of his great servants. And I hope today that if we are spiritually overconfident, we will humble ourselves. That if we are ignoring the warnings of this book, we will do so no longer. And we will understand exactly how temptation works so that we will be prepared. Now next Sunday, we're going to see how Jesus restores. Some of us today need this sermon. Some of us will need next week's sermon. Let's thank the Lord that he never fails us. Would you join me in prayer? Am I speaking to somebody right now who is courting a disaster? The path that you are on is the same path that Peter was on. And you know it. This is not here as a history lesson. This is here because it is the truth. And if any of us would continue on the same path, there will be destruction, misery, and many harmed and ruined lives. And the Jewish proverb is true. A friend is somebody who warns you and Jesus is that friend. 
However God may have spoken to your heart today, and if he's spoken to my heart as he has, I'm sure he has spoken to yours. Would you say to him, Lord, not only do I want to learn from what I've heard, but I want to change in some very important ways. And you know what those ways need to be. And would you say, Lord Jesus, I will do whatever it is that you ask me to do, that I might be strengthened, changed, transformed, so that I can avoid the path that I'm on. O Holy Spirit, by your power to take your word and penetrate hearts, do that for each of us today. For Jesus' gracious and wonderful sake, Amen.